people are realizing that this is going to be a thing and I'm either going to understand it or I'm going to learn later on once others in my industry have already built solutions. People should be learning about this tech and how it's going to impact their company and their industry. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Daniel Liebeskind, founder and CEO of Topia, a digital space to connect face-to-face in a more natural and fun way. Daniel's first startup at the age of eight was trading, buying, and selling baseball cards based on their appraised value in the Topps magazines. He attended Lehigh University, where he started and led the Real Estate Investment Club. This propelled him to win one of the few coveted internships for Lehman Brothers Investment Banking in 2008. In 2013, Daniel attended Hack Reactor, where he rediscovered his passion for coding, creating, and building companies. He began creating a vision of building an an immersive platform for customized experiences built around microtransactions and AI. He saw a need for a community-based immersive event space, one that was spatial, where groups could connect from around the world in a way that felt like being together in real life, but enhanced in ways that could only exist virtually. Daniel's vision has led to a platform that allows anyone to create their own event space and allows us to connect in social spaces wherever we are in the world. Easy to access without downloads, simple to customize and create with an ever-expanding asset marketplace, Topia is the best and certainly most fun way to get together when we're apart. Well, Daniel, welcome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, Carol, thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Yeah, great. So can you go into a little bit more detail about what this platform is and, and why we should care about it? Yeah, so really the uh, one of the challenges with the internet historically has been that it's very asynchronous, right? It's um, it's like the email format or the Facebook messenger format where somebody sends a message and sometime later um, there's a response and you're asynchronously communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. Now, what we've seen with platforms like Zoom or with Google Meet um, or even uh, video games, frankly, is the evolution of the internet into something that's more synchronous, more real time, more emulating the experience of being in person and having real-time human connection with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of, um, outside of video games, a lot of the sort of video conferencing that has existed has been devoid of any kind of context, right? And so it's mm-hmm. just sort of uh, two people talking to each other really close, uh, clo- you know, uh, with their faces sort of just really mm-hmm. close in the screen, and one person is, uh, is talking at a time, right? So you might have a group of 100 people on a Zoom, one person at a time is talking. They're basically broadcasting, one-way communicating to the entire group. And so what I sought out to do and what others like me sought out to do is to evolve the experience of being able to connect with each other real-time online into something that more closely emulates how people come together in groups and in community in the real world, right? So having a 1,000 people in the same space where you're able to talk to three or four or mm-hmm. you know, 10 people at a time, right. not have one person speaking to all 1,000 at a time. And so Topia and others like it are basically these big open, open worlds, open game worlds that you can customize. So you can brand them, you can turn them into all sorts of really interesting experiences. Um, and really, it's about bringing uh, large groups of people together and having them be able to have intimate experiences with each other and intimate conversations and small groups uh, that they're self-facilitating, not having to have a facilitator that's basically turning this into different breakout rooms. And so you have serendipity. You're able to do things like host virtual Burning Man, which we did in 2020 and 2021, <laughs> and have thousands of people coming together, but have people feel like, oh, man, I just had this experience with three other people, um, and it's not a broadcast. That's really interesting. So h- how did this epiphany come to you? <laughs> 
Well, you know, I've been building these kinds of technologies since 2015. I had a startup called Body in 2015. Um, it was a little bit ahead of its time, but it was a way for fitness instructors to create their own virtual fitness studios and then teach a live interactive classes where they could see participants and participants could see each other. Um, and so, you know, that was using a lot of the same technology. And I've always been a game developer when I was a kid. I built a bunch of video games mm -hmm. um, and websites. I've always been really all about uh, community. I traveled the world being uh, part of different creator communities. Um, I also have a very large family. Um, we all, uh, you know, there's something like 60 people on one side and 50 people on another. Wow. And so, you know, growing up uh, with a strong sense of community and engaging, you know, in these large events in, in sort of small groups, um, you know, it's, it's those kinds of experiences that um, really, you know, been a passion of mine to, uh, to participate and really drive forward what is now known as the metaverse. Uh, but for me, has always been this idea of evolving the internet to be more uh, like how we interact in real life. And even drawing from the gaming world where, um, you know, multiplayer games, MMORPGs, People have been connecting real time with each other online for a, for a while um, in context, in experiences, right? So you and four friends are fighting a dragon together and you're hanging out, talking to each other or playing Fortnite is another example. Like I play that with, with some of my friends and we're hanging out, we're talking about life while we're playing the game. And the game serves as context and sort of an idle pastime as we're hanging out. Kind of like if you're hanging out in person and you're playing basketball, but you're uh, talking with each other and catching up on life. And so, you know, I've always been passionate about the idea of bringing that, making, uh, making that available to more than just gamers, making that available to everybody and being able to change the context. So it's not a game per se, it can be a scavenger hunt or it can be uh, Burning Man itself, right? Or a bar or a happy hour or any of these different contexts. So you've taken uh, 5.8 million in investment over a pre-seed and a seed round. What has your investors saying, yeah, this is a company I wanted to invest in? That's a great question. I think that um, people that come into Topia either have, some people that come in don't really get it, right? They're like, ah, I don't really understand what this is all about. And to be fair, you know, our onboarding has, uh, you know, has improved a lot recently. But in early on, it was kind of like you're dropped into this experience. There's no context. There's no explanation. Um, and when you're meeting one-on-one, -on -one, it's actually not that different from uh, meeting in Zoom, right? What happened with each of the, the, everybody that has invested or really that's a stakeholder or that loves Topia is um, an aha moment. So people that come in either don't get it or you can sort of see this moment where it all clicks and they understand what's going on and that you can create these customized contexts around you. And so for each, for each of our investors, you know, they had that moment um, for, Alexa Hanian, who's uh, one of the co-founders of 776, it was um, that I, th I think there was something like six or seven of them that came in. And me and Alexis were having a conversation and a few other people went off and they were goofing around around a bar within uh, Burning Man, the world, um, which is like a persistent space that you can visit even right now, which is topia.io slash burn. And so we were having a conversation. The others were over playing around with uh, you know, a piece of the context, a piece of the scene, and then we came together and it was this realization that we just had two different experiences within the same space that we self-facilitated, had the serendipity around that. And then we came back together organically like you do in real life. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's those kinds of moments where people mm -hmm. kind of get it and imagine what is possible with this technology going forward. Um, and so for each of our investors, really all of our stakeholders, you know, we did a pre-seed round. Um, basically what happened is we hosted Burning Man for four months after uh, first line of code. So we, you know, we launched in public. We launched three weeks after the first line of code and had our first event. Uh, we co-hosted Burning Man. Then, uh, you know, four months later, and at Burning Man, we had a ton of people saying, "How do I invest? You know, this is the crazy experience I've I've had during the pandemic. How do I get involved? How do mm -hmm. I invest uh, and whatnot?" I think we had something like twenty pre-seed, you know, friends and family um, or friends of friends that invest in our pre-seed. We then did our seed round led by. Uh, like Sohanian seven seven six with um, you know also Bonfire who's an LA based VC mm -hmm. that's been incredible. Um, we can talk about them if you want. And then um, Kevin Durant's thirty five ventures also did uh, some follow on and and similar pattern for each of them. You know that aha moment realization of what can happen in each case. Um, you know I talked to a lot of different VCs, some varying levels of kind of like getting it, but for each of the ones that we allow to invest, they actually pitched me a vision of Topia that was um, you know in in some cases 
really what we were already thinking about. And uh, in other cases, you know, maybe even just expanding the way that we were uh, imagining what we were building. So uh, that's really interesting. And and I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, am I just a dinosaur because I can't see myself doing this, right? Um, and and I, I I wonder if this is this whole metaverse is geared to, you know, the 20 something teenagers and younger crowds. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, what's interesting with Topia is that we have actually geared it not towards um, what you would think of as maybe the younger generation. Mm -hmm. uh, we've really been riding this line between being a game and being a, uh, you know, a chat application and a productivity mm -hmm. tool almost. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of our users are, uh, businesses, they are communities. Uh, my 95 year old grandfather had his birthday party in Topia and, you know, he got in there and it was a little bit confused at first, but you know, everybody else moved around him and he realized he could just like click and move, you know, we're not mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. 3d, we're not doing VR. We're not right, doing right. like move with your keyboard. You know, it's just like click and move around and, and we try to make it really, really simple. Um, and so what's going to happen for you, Carol is you're probably not even going to realize that you're going into Utopia world. Someday you're just going to click a link that's sent to you by some organization. You're going to go in and it's going to be really easy and you're going to be clicking and moving around and it's going to be, uh, it's going to kind of blow your mind, uh, hopefully. And, uh, you know, and, and we're just, you know, that's one of the keys for us is making it really simple, making it really accessible. Right. Um, things like VR, you know, there's just not adoption. And, and frankly, right. you know, the kind of sentiment that you just expressed, that's what most people feel about even three dimensional uh, experiences. And so that's why we chose to go two dimensional, make it really lightweight, make the focal point, actually the, the videos and, uh, you know, the conversations that people are having and less of like the game mechanics. Okay. We chose to make it really lightweight and, uh, you know, we really are optimizing for making it accessible so that mm -hmm. millions of people all over the world can be part of a community and not just people that are really gaming oriented um, or that are familiar with gaming mechanics. So we stripped out a lot of the game mechanics and, and use open canvases, um, which we, we are borrowing from the gaming world. Um, but really, you can think of Topia actually as more of a, a contextual uh, Zoom or like a hybrid between uh, a video game and a productivity tool like a Zoom. Right. Well, and, and again, like I said, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, where would somebody like me who'd rather be outside, you know, riding my horses or working in my garden, you know, none of those things that I have any interest in doing, you know, in a, in a world like this, but I'm thinking in my business, where can I use this? Right? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, especially now I'm still talking to a lot of founders, um, you know, who are now hundred percent remote, right? So, you know, instead of spending, I mean, not instead of, and who, who maybe can only bring in their entire, especially if they have people around, you know, around the country to bring everybody together, maybe once or twice a year. So what's the solution when you can only bring people together once or twice a year? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, having weekly happy hours when people are mm -hmm. all over the world right. is very challenging <laughs> and expensive right. and prohibitive. And you can do right. that in Zoom, but it's more of a presentation. Right. No, so, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the one of the other interesting things is mm -hmm. using this as like a sales funnel. These persist these worlds are persistent. So one of the top use cases that's emerging here is uh, creating persistent worlds that can be used for customers as a community and as pros for prospects as a community. Um, and you know, actually making it so that you can use these as um, as the demo world, right? You can turn these worlds into um, interactive walkthrough f through your product demos, for example, right? Um, and you can have your salespeople just kind of hanging out, and your SDRs can be funneling people into the world. Your your marketing assets, like your website, can actually funnel people, and you can do live interactive demos rather than you know book a demo and three days later when you're not actually trying to make your purchasing decision anymore. Um, you know, actually being able to talk to somebody live. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there are a lot of business cases like that that we're starting to see emerge. Um, you know, the weekly happy hours, the all hands meetings, um, even just bringing all your stakeholders in, you know, once a month for a big party. Uh, and again, making it accessible. So you can have employees that are in Eastern Europe and employees that are in California and you, you can bring them together once a year in some location in person, but have these, you know, recurring get togethers to really build a global culture and, and, and identity. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's, there's any component of people thinking, Ugh, I spent enough time in front of my computer. Do I really need to spend more time? 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think for us, we're not trying to replace real life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to enhance access to yep. community. That's that's our mission. And so something like Burning Man as an example, Burning Man in person is incredible. That should happen every year, right? But only 70,000 people can go. It's very right. expensive. Yeah. It's very elitist. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not very accessible. Um, but that community, the ethos, the whole point of it is to try to get the the values mm-hmm. and the the ethos, the ideas out into the world. And so by having um, both, by having an in-person experience and a persistent online community that feels like Burning Man, you can actually you know expand that community from 70,000 people to millions. Interesting. So uh, between the time you got out of school, uh, your undergrad in 2009 and founding the company 11 years later, you had about eight jobs. Tell me a little bit about your journey through those eight jobs into founding Topia and along the way, it like where you where you made mistakes, what worked, what didn't work, that's gotten to, gotten you to where you are. That's a great question. So I graduated in two thousand nine. I went to Lehman Brothers right as the right. financial crisis was occurring. Um, <laughs> Barclays Capital then, and I was an investment banker. Barclays Capital acquired some of the employees, including me. So then I was an investment banker at Barclays. Um, I did the iBanking thing for for two years, um, and then was recruited by Summit Partners, which is a growth capital, you know, basically a, a VC firm uh, in San Francisco. So that brought me out west, and uh, I did that for two years. My job, you know, Summit sort of pioneered the uh, the outbound model, where you're trying to identify entrepreneurs that are growing really fast growing businesses um, that had not taken capital before. My job basically was to uh, was to connect with entrepreneurs, uh, successful ones, try to find the most successful entrepreneurs um, who kind of were like, we don't need money, we're already killing it. Um, and uh, and so, you know, successful entrepreneurs and try to convince them to take capital from uh, right. from Summit. And so through that experience, I realized that most entrepreneurs were um, just ordinary people that had a really mm-hmm. intense passion for something. And we're, mm-hmm. uh, we're, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to make that vision come alive. Um, and so, you know, I, I got, uh, I was always kind of entrepreneurial myself, um, you know, even before I went to college. Right. Um, but it really reignited this, this passion of, uh, of mine. And, you know, I felt that finance just was not, I wasn't really, you know, I was kind of telling people I was giving advice without having ever actually done the thing. Right. Uh, and yikes, so yeah. I decided to leave, um, you know, maybe I would go back to VC and investing, but I wanted to get some operating experience and actually try to be an entrepreneur myself. What better way to connect with entrepreneurs than to have been an entrepreneur? And so mm-hmm. I left, I went to a coding boot camp called Hack Reactor, uh, right. relearned to code, learned a lot of the modern uh, frameworks. And, you know, I think in, in since then, that was 2013, um, I have started many different uh, startups. I had a dev shop. I've been a chief product officer at a blockchain company. Um, you know, I've traveled the world for a couple of years as a digital nomad. I've had a lot of different experiences. And I've kind of looked at my life as a video game itself. I look at my, I think of my, my sort of character type in life as, uh, as gamer. And so skill acquisition has always been really important for me. Um, pushing myself into uncomfortable territory where I don't really know what I'm doing and just sort of accumulating all these different skills um, and, 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 and interests, right? And passions uh, and really stoking the flames of that, giving myself, I, some people call me like an experience junkie is one, one of the things that my wife calls me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's true, right? I've, and part of that is just pushing myself through experiences, through forming memories, um, you know, driving passions, gaining skills, uh, has led me to a point where I'm good at a lot of different things. And I think that's actually a really important thing for an entrepreneur is to be able to wear all the different hats mm-hmm. and be skilled enough at uh, at any of them and not necessarily be like expert at any right. one thing where you get right. bogged down in that, but be able to wear all the hats, especially at the beginning. And then your, your job basically is to um, bring in people that are more expert than you at each of these things and offload them from your plate and just build yourself more and more leverage as you go. And that's kind of what I've been uh, doing with Topia. Yeah, that's really great. So so what does the competitive landscape look like in this business? Yeah, there's, you know, when you think of the word metaverse, um, you know, obviously Facebook changed their name to Meta. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even something like Roblox is in the space, Fortnite's in the space. A lot mm-hmm. of big gaming companies are, are uh, mm-hmm. dipping their toe in. Even, you know, amongst 
sort of the more like proximity chat or spatial chat, which is, you know, what people are calling, starting to call this, um, what Topia is, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different things. What, one of the things that's been interesting is in any uh, market that evolves like this, um, a lot of competitors emerge and they want to go really fast. So what they usually do is um, they spin up really quickly atop other infrastructure so that they can go to market really fast mm-hmm. and not have to invent uh, architecture from scratch, not have to build a product from scratch. We had a huge advantage here in having a couple of years where we focused really exclusively on our product and on our architecture. Um, we actually had no distribution, really. It was all just organic mm-hmm. flywheel of people having an event. You know, something like Burning Man brings a lot of people in. Uh, some percentage of those people then go on and have their own event, bring more people in. We had no sales. We had very little marketing. Um, and we were really focused. You know, even throughout all that, we had 10 people all focused on product architecture, building a really scalable product. We've invented a lot of proprietary technology. All of our... Um, our WebRTC, our audio and video, for example, um, we have two different modes, but one of them, which is very unique in the industry, is called peer-to-peer and allows us to create an encrypted tunnel between two people's devices so that anything that you're saying, there's no possibility of it being downloaded, transcribed. Any of these mm. server-based architectures, which almost everything else is and has to be, um, you know, you're trusting that platform not to transcribe everything you're saying in intimate conversations with your friends which their incentive for something like a Facebook meta is actually to transcribe it and serve you more targeted ads. Um, mm-hmm. And so right. when you look at the competitive landscape, you see a lot of companies that are built on TalkBox or Twilio or MediaSoup, which are uh, server-based WebRTC architectures. Topia has a completely customized, um, completely proprietary tech. We're now starting to spin up uh, a Salesforce. We realized that we had something like 3,000 companies a month coming to inbound to us. And we were calling and contacting zero of them. Um, and so, you know, we are now actually spinning up a team to handle the inbound, actually do outbound. Um, you can actually think of Topia. We're very uniquely positioned to be uh, essentially metaverse as a service uh, for companies to create their mm-hmm. own metaverse clouds. Nobody mm-hmm. else can do that. Um, and we can do it for pretty cheap because that's what we built our architecture for. So um, there are there is a lot of noise or a lot of players in the space, but we're very uniquely positioned in, in what we're uh, what we're doing. So how are you getting all these inbound leads? <laughs> I have no idea. No. Um, I think, <laughs> Don't <yeah>. say that. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm sort of joking. Um, you know, a lot of it is um, we've done a lot of different experiments over time. Um, uh-huh. You know, there is a bunch of PR out there. You know, we've been written up. Um, mm. There's a decent amount, again, of that organic flywheel as well. So uh, as an example, you know, we have, um, we have, we have something like 1,500 events um, happening every month. Um, so there's, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of interest. There are big companies, small companies, there's, uh, conferences. Um, and so, you know, as an example of the, the kind of pattern that'll happen, somebody will go to a conference, maybe they work at, you know, name big tech company, uh, and they go to a conference because somebody sent them a link. They go in, they're like, wow, this is wild. This would be perfect for X event that we're doing. Maybe it's an all hands, Maybe mm-hmm. it's a happy hour. Maybe it's an annual shareholder mm-hmm, meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to throw our own conference. We want to use this as a recruiting tool. And so, um, you know, they come to the site. They try to figure it out themselves um, because, you know, again, we historically had really no uh, sales, even inbound support or customer success or anything like that. Um, and so now, you know, all of these people that are coming to our marketing content, we're actually uh, starting to engage with and. Um, focus on customer success. What does it look like to be successful within the platform? Um, and so, you know, it's it's been very transformative here over the last even few weeks and certainly going forward. Um, and, you know, we built a whole sales and marketing automation system that's tied into our product, uh, which we were able to do through our own API that we built. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happening right now. What's the financial model look like? Are people paying for this or is it free oh, yeah. right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we no, we've had people paying for it for uh, since late 2020, um, okay. and we uh, we charge based on capacity. So we have two different modes. Uh, we have a serverless mode, which is that peer to peer we call standard mode, um, and then we have a what we call performance mode. So the drawback of peer to peer is that people have old devices or really bad internet connections. They can have some connectivity issues. Um, right now, right? This is evolving before our eyes. Uh, we're entering WebRTC 1.0 finally this year. 
Um, and so, you know, peer-to-peer is about to go through a, a massive transformation. Um, but that is kind of the drawback. And so we charge $1 per user capacity uh, mm-hmm. in standard mode and uh, $4 per user capacity in performance mode, which is a server-based architecture, which is what everybody else in the, in the market basically has. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, as a result, you know, if you want to have, you can think about this like a venue, right? So if you're a big company and across all your entire ecosystem, you want to be able to bring a thousand people concurrently into your different spaces, then you'd pay $4,000 a month. Um, if you're a smaller company and maybe you want to just be in standard mode because you're a consumer product and each individual person's coming, you're not as concerned about their experience, then uh, you, you'd pay, you know, you want 100 person capacity, you'd pay 100 bucks a month. So it's a big range in what people are paying for. Uh, mm-hmm. We also have a hosted version. So you mm-hmm. can self-host your own uh, Metaverse cloud mm-hmm. with Topia mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, we're charging there on sort of an enterprise case and, you know, depends on the amount of support that you need. Interesting. Is there, is there anything that, you know, as this industry blooms, is there anything in particular at this point that kind of bugs you about the industry? Well, one of the challenges is that the word metaverse, um, you know, you roll your eyes at it almost, right? Because mm-hmm. it is so much noise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we were calling this the real-time experience cloud basically, you know, early on. And then metaverse, Facebook made metaverse like the term that yeah, everybody knows. Right. The problem is that the word metaverse actually means two different things to two different communities. Mm. One is the evolution of the internet into something that's real time and experiential and interactive. Um, and so that's what Topia really is all about. The other is uh, all about Web3 and NFTs. And, um, you know, Topia actually is part of that as well. If, um, you know, we have Web3 integrations, we think of ourselves as a Web3 utility layer. Um, So we're not, you know, we haven't tokenized real estate. Again, for us, it's all about access. Mm -hmm. And if you're not like a token holder, you're not a a Web3 Mm -hmm. wallet, you know, Ethereum wallet holder, you can still use Topia. It actually has no impact on your experience at all. But if you have those things, you can use them within the Topia ecosystem, for example, to, uh, to gate access to worlds or events. Um, you can also allow your visitors to co-create uh, NFT mm-hmm. galleries that are verified on chain. And so we have NFT integrations. We have, you know, we we are integrating to the public database realm, which is basically what Web3 is, but it adds a lot of confusion to the idea of the metaverse. So uh, Daniel, who's your who's your ideal client and what makes them ideal for you? Yeah, so we have essentially three pillars of clients. One is B2B companies that are, uh, mm-hmm. and, and these are, you know, our customers are B2B. They're selling to businesses right? Um, often. Which is what it seemed to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and they're using this as a way to, uh, as essentially like a top of funnel, demand gen, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. growth, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how we actually use Topia ourselves, right? We have a welcome world you can come into. There's always people in there. there you know, you can learn about our product, but you can replace our product with any product. And you can think about this almost like your website, but it's an interactive social website. Or think about it as like your YouTube channel. But instead of people coming and experiencing your YouTube content one way by themselves, they can come into Utopia World and you can walk through the YouTube videos that are embedded. And they pop up spatially when you walk by them. And so you can can experience that with Uh other people, including salespeople or other people that are already customers or other prospects. Um, And so that's one of the use cases. The second is... Uh, large companies, often um, big gaming companies, tech companies that are using this uh, as their own metaverse cloud. And they want to have their own ecosystem of real-time experiences where they're hosting their own database, their own servers, their own uh, WebRTC clusters. And we mm-hmm. en- enable people to do that. Um, okay. And you know, we see that as everybody eventually should have their own metaverse cloud, right? Just like everybody mm-hmm. has their own website. Um, and, um, you know, and there's a lot of power in being able to control the experiences, being able to control the data, especially larger companies want all of those assets to flow through their own hosted databases. So that's our second pillar. And then the third one, uh, just briefly, is large communities. So brand, uh, large consumer brands, for example, nonprofits, things like Burning Man, um, you know, all of these are big communities that are using Topia mm-hmm. to bring people together around shared experiences, shared interests. Uh, scavenger hunts, you know, regular meeting or regular um, hangouts, mm-hmm. even like influencer marketing, those kinds of things. So y- y- one of the common denominators among all the founders that I interview for this podcast is having 
somehow experienced a problem they needed solved themselves <laughs> and then realizing, oh, that needs to be built. So I'm curious as to where you put yourself on that scale of, let's say, one to 10, one being total nice to have and a 10 being got totally need to have. Where, where you are, where Topia is at this point. <laughs> Do people well, actually see it as a need to have? Because that's, that, I, I just think that that's fascinating. I mean, or, or are we doing a lot of evangelizing? To create you're talking that. about our customers. Do they need to have this or is it nice to have right now? Correct. Yeah. I think that there are different use cases. So yeah. um, the real answer is that it's nice to have for a lot of cases, yeah. but there are a few cases where it's need to have mm -hmm. um, and people are really scrambling to figure out what to do without something like this. And when they see it, it's like this aha moment and like, thank God this exists. Mm. Um, and so that's really exciting for us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it definitely is, um, it, it's a na completely nascent industry technology. There's a lot of mm -hmm. noise, a lot of hype swirling yeah. around it. Um, you know, part of what's happening is people are realizing that this is going to be a thing and I'm either going to understand it while it's becoming a thing, or mm -hmm. I'm going to learn later on once others in my industry have already built solutions. You know, so once you get adoption. Um, so there's a decent yeah, amount right. of that going on mm -hmm. as well, is, is mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, pursuing this as a learning activity. I think from that perspective, it actually is a need to have. People should be learning about this tech and how it's going to impact their company and their industry. Um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing a big evolution, though, in that. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you provide me with one of those need-to-have use cases? <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, you know, one of them is we have a, uh, a very large company that has something like 15,000 employees okay. uh, that they want to. It has more employees than that, but they want to actually bring those 15,000 employees together for a two-week festival. Um, and they, you know, they historically have done this kind of in person, but it's incredibly expensive and mm -hmm. they find it, um, you know, now their, their, uh, their team has become permanently remote, right. In a way that mm -hmm. even more than it was before. And uh, any large company has a, a number of offices and, you know, not everybody's co-located in the same headquarters, but now mm -hmm. it's scattered everywhere and it's not going back. Right. This is a right. permanent change for them. And so they're trying to imagine how they can have this, uh, this, this internal festival that they've been having, um, and they're using Topia to do that because it's the only affordable way to do it, and they're still putting a lot of resources into it. Um, but you know, they're facing this existential crisis of we're either not going to do this anymore because it's not feasible, um, or we're going to find a platform that is scalable that can handle 12,000 people uh, in an experience. And that's, you know, Topia is uniquely built to handle uh, thousands of people in an experience. Awesome. So you currently have about 18 employees. Tell me a little bit about, you know, over the past two years since you've, since you started the company, tell me a little bit about your talent strategy, where you've had challenges, you know, kind of the what's worked and what hasn't worked so far and what you've learned from those things. Yeah. Well, we, uh, most of the early Topia employees I knew personally. Yeah, not, not uncommon. Them. Yeah. <laughs> our first, uh, our first hire that I didn't know was an engineer and he came to a Topia event and was incredibly enthusiastic mm. and was basically like, I need to work here. Mm -hmm, we brought him mm -hmm. on as a contractor and he was amazing. Um, you know, we had him as a junior engineer and he's now a senior engineer. And that was a mm -hmm. year ago. He's just, he's just an all-star. Um, and you know, what we have found is that referrals or people that basically come to us and demand a job are <laughs> the two best sources of candidates Right. Uh, so far ha has been the case. And the reason is mm -hmm. that people that we know, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be just people that I know, but people that are strong culturally within, within Topia and you are a team of, um, I think of us as like special forces people that are all incredibly good at what we do, mm -hmm. but kind of polymaths, you know, good at a lot of things. And the thing we share in common is a, is a burning passion for what it is that we're building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, a defender of accessibility, a defender of authentic human connection, a defender of uh, building a product that, that has consent and safer spaces mm -hmm. uh, as a core ideal. And those are kind of our three values. And everybody mm -hmm. that joins Topia is passionate about at least one of those. Um, mm -hmm. And so it turns out that referrals often, you know, you know that if somebody is is going to be, um, you know, a defender of one of our values or people that come to Topia and, and 
it resonates with them so intensely that they basically beg us for a job. Um, you know, again, it's it's just a good filter. Whereas, uh, you know, somebody that is um, where we're actually having to go out and find them, like, you know, cold emailing, we just haven't really had to do that. Frankly, you know, we're fortunate that we haven't had to do it. Um, and, you know, if we were to do that and we were to hire, um, the person would just need to be really exceptionally um, you know, I, I almost think about the world from an ikigai standpoint, which is the Japanese concept of what gives you energy, what mm-hmm. are you technically really great at, and what are, you know, what are you going to do that drives impact within the organization. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any way that we bring on their ikigai needs to be aligned with what their job is going to be within mm-hmm. Topia, and they need to have passion for what. Right. We're doing. Well, I mean, I think that's that's again that's that's another one of those kind of common denominators among you know, really great startups is people have to be incredibly passionate about what they're doing because it's not like you're paying anybody a lot of money right now. I'm sure, you know, and we, we pay, you know, we're paying market rates, um, yeah. you know, which is part of just like, we believe in taking care of ourselves and our people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you're definitely taking on more risk coming to a startup and life's way more chaotic than right. the same position at a larger company, but no it's question. way more fun and a lot of mm-hmm. upside. And, you know, you get to forge your own destiny. And, you know, I, I say this to the team all the time, these 18 people are the leaders, you know, we scale to 150 people. Um, you know, the culture that these 18 people are creating, the way they interact with each other, with the product, with our community, with any stakeholder, you know, that's how the 150 are going to as well. And there's a lot of beauty in that, uh, it being involved early on in a, in a journey like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's the org structure look like of those 18 people? Uh, that's shifted over time, but, uh, you know, we basically have, uh, now three teams, uh, and one is what we call PDE, which is product design and engineering. Okay. And then another is distribution. And then the third is operations and, mm-hmm. you know, product PDE is basically building, designing, and building the product. Uh, then distribution is getting that product into the hands of customers and operations supports both of those teams. And, you know, each one has a team lead. And, uh, you know, I think the deepest we go right now is, is, uh, three down. So there's, uh, there are some, there's an uh, instance in, in distribution where, you know, the team lead has a direct report who has a direct report, but otherwise we've been very flat. Um, in our structure, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of just how startups go. We're trying to well, create that's more exactly, structure. I mean, that's go. where you should be, right? So do you not have an executive team at this time yet? We Is do. Yeah, you? the leaders of each okay. team and, and myself um, and, and our CTO, um, who's kind of, okay. you know, my right-hand person and uh, joined the company month two and uh, has been creating mm-hmm. the whole thing with me from scratch. So... Uh, this is a question I feel like has to be asked because of the nature of what you're up to. What's the um, makeup of men and women in the org- of those 18 people? Yeah, we're actually about 50-50 and our leadership wow. team uh, awesome. is, you know, me uh, and the CTO and the head of distribution are male. Uh, the head of engineering, head of PDE and head of operations are female. Awesome. Uh, and our team is pretty split down the middle. Um, I, I don't know the exact stat. I, I probably should, but I don't know. No, no, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm really delighted to hear that because, you know, sometimes I think, you know, of course the age old issue is, you know, how do we get women into these technical jobs, right? Into the, the STEM jobs. And, you know, it has to start long before we need them. So, you know, that, that seems to be, again, a, a common challenge. Um, and, you know, among, among founders and, you know, <laughs> how, do, how do we not turn out and have a company that was built like Uber, for example, right? Mm. That was, you know, a bunch of young men who were just, you know, harassing women, basically. Yep. You know, these young women, horrible, you know, just a terrible story, the culture that they build, right? And I, I mean, I don't believe people are, you know, found a company to in fact, do that. But I think you have to proactively look at who are we hiring? How do we balance this out so that we don't potentially end up with that? Right? Yeah. And, and you know, since day one, that's been a deep part of our ethos. You know, we yeah. were in many ways, uh, like the Phoenix born out of the, the you know, the flames of Burning Man. Um, and there, you know, it's all about consent and safer spaces. And a lot of our team comes from uh, that community, even as we've scaled, you know, we 
um, we keep bringing on people from from that community, and we're very thoughtful around um, you know even the product that we're building. You know, if we're building mm-hmm. something for everybody, mm-hmm. it needs to be built by everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're very thoughtful about uh, team makeup. You know, diversity of experiences, diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds. Um, and you know, that's the only way that you really can, uh, can intentionally build a product that is as safe as it can be. And nothing is perfectly yeah. safe. No. Um, but you know, we, we also have, uh, guilds. So we have, mm-hmm. you know, people that are really passionate about privacy, really passionate about consent, really passionate yeah. about diversity and inclusion. Um, and within the team, even at a, as a small team, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're trying to build out that intentionality so that people can raise red flags if something feels non-consensual, for example, in our product. Um, and, you know, we've been really, really, really thoughtful. And that's, we, we've actually gone slower than we could have done, uh, gone if we just threw spaghetti against the wall. But we're yeah, very thoughtful right. in, in everything that we build and the way that we present ourselves. That's awesome. Have you experienced any turnover over the last two years? Yeah, some. So what would you boil that down to? Yeah. What do I boil it down to? So there is no panacea. Let me just put that out there. Right. But the, I'm always interested in, you know, what's causing turnover. Oh, of course. Yeah. Everybody has I, a different, you know, different answer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you're never going to get a hundred percent right um, mm-hmm. in every hire. And actually that should not yeah. even be your goal. I think it should be somewhere over 90%, you know, let's call them good hires, right? People sure, that you really sure. want to bring in. What I actually say to everybody across everything is let's strive for 85 to 90%. Okay. Right? That's, that, that is the gold standard as a startup mm-hmm. uh, because that the, it's like a, a diminishing utility curve of trying right. to get that last 10% is, winds up being 90% of the energy and right. it just doesn't of make course. sense to you. No, you I can't agree. succeed as a mm-hmm. startup. And so you know that's true for hiring. It's true for product launches. It's true for really anything. Um, and so, you know, we have moved kind of fast. I think one of the things that we realized, um, you know, the turnover typically actually has come because we bring on people that are incredibly gifted at what they're doing, but also very multidisciplinary. And we've had some issues where we haven't clearly defined roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of just yep. expect everybody to be able to come in and figure out what they're supposed to do, what's going to drive impact. Right. That has not always been the case. No. Um, and you know, there, we, somebody that we've turned over, we actually brought them on without even really having an idea of what they were going to do. Um, we just kind of brought them in and, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. And that turned out to just not really be the right Right. move. Um, so I've had a lot of learnings myself. Uh, people actually thrive on structure on knowing Mm -hmm. what they're supposed to do, what, how they can drive impact. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, we haven't had a lot of turnover. It's been healthy. You know, I think actually one of the epiphanies I've had that I've been coached on this is that, you know, as a founder and as a team, really you're trying to defend, you're trying to succeed, right? That's the role of a CEO is to help your organization succeed. Um, but also really to defend all the stakeholders that are believing in, and, and that are putting so much of their energy into what you're doing. And for us, that's other, that's Topia employees, but it's also our whole community of people that are uh, co-creating and, and collaborating with this on Topia. And so, you know, letting somebody go, um, can actually be a very protective move of the team, of the community, um, and something that is pretty critical. If you if you scale as a startup from zero people, you know, from one person to a hundred, and you don't let anybody go, you're probably being uh, you're you're either optimizing for that hundred percent, which is impossible, yeah, or you are uh, sacrificing some of the stability and, and yep. strength for your community and for your stakeholders. Yeah, I, I think complete. of it, and just one last thing on this, I think of it like a rowing team. And if you have somebody that's not rowing with the rest of the team, the boat is going to fail. Boy, you're the second person who has used that analogy today. And I said to him, as I will say to you, you need to read my book that's coming out in June. <laughs> because there's a big there's a big sweep rowing boat, sweep <laughs> rower right on the front of the book. <laughs> and we right. talk about that, the importance of rowing together. It's that so it's really, you know, it's really great. I, ha- I haven't heard that very often from people, but I'm starting to to hear that now from time to time. And it it delights me, right? Because, you know, this is something that I had an epiphany about in about 2008 or 2009. You know, this is not about getting on a bus, right? Yeah, so anyway, right. I, don't, I don't want to go talking about that because that's not what we're here well, for. Well, on a I, bus, everybody's just sitting there passively. Well, right. So you'll read for the you'll read the first chapter of my book. That'll be that'll be made abundantly clear. So, um, tell me a little bit about what makes your company culture unique, Daniel. Uh, you know, we. I mean, I think it starts with who you bring on. 
it's harder, it's easier, you know, it's almost a cheat code to bring on, to stack the odds in your favor and bring on people that are going to be resonant with the culture you're trying to create rather than bring on people that are not going to be resonant and then trying to like train them into your culture. Um, and so we've been really pragmatic. We actually will turn down a candidate that uh, that is technically superior, you know, technically like they have more skill in whatever we're hiring them for if mm-hmm. they're not a good culture fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we yes. will pick the good culture fit mm-hmm. you know, 100%, 100% of the time mm-hmm. um, that was really passionate about what we're trying to do. And for us, a good culture fit is, you know, is, is uh, a passion for our values, which is really accessibility, human connection, um, safety and consent. You know, if you have a passion for those things, if you're just like a good person, you know, we're all, if you meet, if you came to one of our team meetings, it's a lot of uh, just really good energy. You know, we hire mm-hmm. good people. We're trying to hire really good people. We're mm-hmm. trying to do um, do you know do good things in the world, and yeah. um, you know, and and so we don't really have to teach anybody that they're coming to us with that already, and they're reinforcing it amongst themselves. It actually, you know, it one of the funny things is once you get to a certain size, and we're starting to be at that size, if you bring in somebody that is not a good culture fit, they stick out kind of like a sore thumb. It's very obvious. Correct. Um, and so, you know, we've, uh, we've been fortunate, you know, in that we have access to a community of people that are very skilled um, that we've been able to draw from early on. And we have a really uh, strong community. I think the hard thing is when you go from 18 people to 150, how do you maintain right. that? Um, and I think one of the ways it to do work. it is <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work, um, yeah. but it's also reinforcing to, to everybody that's in a higher mm-hmm. position, the importance mm-hmm of making those kinds of hiring Correct. decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you've mentioned twice now of the growth from, you know, 18 to 100, 150 people, you know, where do you see, what do you see as, as growth and, and investing in resources here over the next, let's say 12 months? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're going to go from 18 to 150 over, uh, 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, un- unless, you know, for me, it's not about growing the team size per se. That's not, that's not the indication of success by any mm-hmm. means. Um, that can be a proxy, right? You typically mm-hmm. need to hire people as you uh, have them. more demands right. because you have more customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, it can be a nice proxy of success. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's, it's like I was saying, you know, where you're wearing a lot of different hats and then you bring on people to wear those hats for you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's what scaling the team uh, actually looks like is we have people that are doing four different jobs right now and we can instead bring in people to specialize in each of those as we're growing our customer base. Um, and so, you know, our, our focal point, we just turned on this sales engine. Um, we're seeing a lot of success with it. And so, you know, I think over the next few months, uh, you know, we have people that I get hit up all the time for by VCs trying to invest partly because we're just in the metaverse space and, you know, our name is starting to get out there and um, you know, there's a lot of hype around this industry. But you know, we're basically saying, look, just wait and see what we're going to do over the next uh, quarter or two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now that we're actually putting our energy towards getting this out there, um, you know, let's just wait and see. And then we'll do a big Series A probably, you know, at the uh, at the end of the year. Um, if we are in a position, which we likely will be, to pour more fuel on the fire and you know, we have a repeatable, uh, scalable distribution right. model and we just need to add people add energy uh, into the mix, you know, add customer success, that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, scale from there. But, you know, just like we built the product, we're doing, we're trying to do this in a very healthy way um, and ensure that people are successful, that customers are successful, that we're not burning anybody out. Um, and that's, you know, that's one of the balancing acts with scaling a startup uh, as well. So there's a million things to do. So how do you focus enough that you don't just burn everybody out? Well, and not just that, how do you, how do you, and I, it sounds like you've really got your head on straight around this, but you, you know, knowing when you need to hire those next people, right? You know, do we hire them before we have the need? Do we hire them after? It's always a huge balancing act, right? Um, because there are pros and cons to both. You know, you hire somebody before you need them. Well, that person, you know, isn't going to, may not be, well, I'm not making any money or, you know, whatever that might be. And, and then there's, you know, disappointment, frustration. And then, of course, you pull in business and they're like, oh, my God, I've got to get in so many customer success and we're not even anywhere close to finding anybody like that, right? And I think that the, well, it's not really the challenge, but I, what's, what's most important is then as you're closing business, right, to be really clear with your with your new customers that, you know, we don't have anybody in this role yet, but we will soon, right? That's going to be there to support you full time. And Absolutely. I, you know, I think as long as you communicate with people 
and really set up a proper expectation, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think bringing customers into the journey with you yep. can actually be uh, a really I wonderful agree. thing. Yeah, and being, trans- you know, you probably can even just tell from this conversation, I'm very transparent. I talk like this on podcasts. I talk like this to investors. Right. Um, you know, I talk like this to customers. And I think that um, that kind of transparency, people can see, um, you know, it allows them to actually come inside with you, right? Come, come under, uh, into the tent and be on that journey with you. And customers are, are, I have found that customers are um, excited to be on the journey with you if they know that they're actually on. Right. Yeah, I agree. How do you spend your time when you're not working? Uh, I go to, you know, I go to festivals like Burning Man. Um, Those are kind of like big, you know, and music festivals. I have a lot of friends in the uh, music space and in the creative arts space. Um, I also live in uh, West Hollywood in in LA and uh, have a, a, a few different roommates. We call it the, the Topia house. Um, and there's a lot of energy here. We got a pool yeah. where people come over on the weekends. Um, I, lo- I love going to like the most recharging thing I can do is drive two hours east to Lake Arrowhead and just be in the woods and mm-hmm. in, like a log cabin with a fire and, and go on hikes. I love doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I try to I try to get away and, and do those kinds of things when I'm not just working. Great. So is there anything that I have that we haven't talked about that I haven't asked that uh, you'd like to say or talk about before we finish up? I guess there's, we've talked about a bunch of different use cases. I would say it is important, I think, for people to start experiencing this metaverse thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be intimidating or scary. You can actually just go to topia.io and just create a free okay. world, bring people into it. Um, it takes like five minutes and you just send people a link. There's nothing to install, anything like that. So I, I just would encourage people to try it. You know, It doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time. Got it. Well, for somebody uh, that is listening to this, that is that is saying like that first engineer you brought in that you didn't know, um, wow, this company sounds really slick. I'd like to maybe th- think about going to work for them. What should they do? Yeah, we have a job board. Um, so if you go to topia.io and go to the bottom, it says careers. Um, okay. You also can hit us up even if we don't list the job. Um, we're, you know, again, we've actually hired a lot of people from referrals. We love when people just reach out to us saying, hey, here's what I can do uh, for you if you have a role for it. Um, so, you know, feel free to reach out. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you, even if you're not super experienced and, and like the most skillful in a particular thing, if you're passionate about what we're doing, we want to hear from you. Good. Well, Daniel Liebeskind, uh, founder and CEO of Topia, this has been a really enlightening conversation for this old dinosaur. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Carol. Yeah, this has been fun. What a great, uh, what a great episode. And I really appreciate all the questions. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And If you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.